My name is Diana Beresford Kroger. Um, I come in with many names to the Aboriginal people. I am called the woman that the golden eagle flies over and the whippoorwill protects me at night. To the Hopai people and the Pueblo people, I'm known as the lady with the frost banana, believe it or not. I'm known by different names all over the world, actually. Um, my real name in Gaelic is Oane Nidon Smerach, and that name is a very ancient name with a pedigree of 3,000 years. That's on my mother's side. I come from the kings of Ireland. I'm the last child of the castle of Ross. I'm the last child of scholarship, of great scholarship in the island of Ireland that was there before the birth of Christ. And I was told as a child that I would have to learn to my maximum, uh, the maximum extent that I could learn because I would be needed at the time of now and that I was to bring the Brehan laws and the thinking of the ancient world into the time of now because we would be needed, these things would be needed now in the world of now. The ancient wisdoms were getting lost and the ancient wisdoms need to be planted and grown again in the world to help the human community survive. The answers are in, you see them in the, my film, Call of the Forest, The Forgotten Wisdom of Trees. You see it in the app, to, free app to go with it, calloftheforest.ca. We've taken down too much forest. And I can point my finger to many, many corporations in the world and I can use the word greed to them. They have been too greedy. They have made too much money. They haven't lived sustainably. They haven't used the things that a great corporation could use sustainably. They haven't had green thinking. They've thrown that down the river. They have washed it all away down the rivers and into the oceans, but they have taken down too much forest. And I think our politicians should have kept an eye on that. They should know, and indeed they should educate themselves because, because we are paying them with our taxpayers' money to look after society in a way that we singularly cannot look after our own society. We look after ourselves, but the society as a whole, we can't do it. So we've taken down too much forest all over the planet. We have taken it down, we've wrecked it, we've exploded it, we have burnt it, we have trashed it, we have thrown here in Vancouver, the forest on the Vancouver Island has been literally thrown into the waterway so that the salmon can't come up the rivers. And this, this desecration of nature has happened since the time of thinking of nature, of the commodification of nature. Nature does not have a money value. Nature does not have what, what, you look into the eyes of your cat, you look into the eyes of a dog, you look into the eyes of a young child, put a, put a dollar on that, you can't. Look into the eyes of somebody you love and put a dollar on that, you can't. So I look to you and I think, put a dollar value, value on your mother. No, you can't do it. She's beyond money, she's precious. Every single one of us has got a mother. They're precious and a father, they're absolute, and our friends. So. A tree is our friend, a forest is our friend. 
The ecosystem is our friend. The ocean is our friend. The whales are our friend. The great body of living in the ocean, in the great ocean, is connected to the forests. It's only in the last 10 years or 15 years with the cloud chamber experiments, we have understood that the forest is connected to the oceans. We have understood that the forest is connected to the atmosphere. There is actually a bump in the atmosphere, in the ionosphere right now. We don't know what in God's name that is doing up there. So we do know that the forests are collected even into our lungs. Every child in every kindergarten knows that the forest is the lung of the planet, the lung, or the lungs of the planet. Those kids know, the little suckers, tiny little kids know this. But my God, the politicians don't know it. How can that be? What have we done? So we've taken down too much forest. Not you, not me, the corporations have. So pin a tail on the donkey of the corporations. Get them to stop cutting. And if they're cutting, cut sustainably. Don't cut the forests around here, the virgin forests around Victoria and around Vancouver. I say to you, stop doing that and grow the forest so that the foresters have something to cut when they need wood. They can do that by the side. They can do that. They don't have to cut down the best of the best of the best. But that has happened nonetheless. That means the birds have been affected. That means the insects are plummeting. That means that all of the creatures are suffering across this planet as well on the tail of that will be the human family. So the answers to climate change are the following. Every person on this planet plant one tree per person for the next six years, native to native. Native species is custom designed into the native ecosystem. You plant those trees and you will be in the region of 50, 60 billion trees, maybe even more because a lot of people are planting more. You plant them and the tree is able to do something extraordinary. And this has only been a recent discovery because Einstein, who was one smart bod, he didn't figure this one out. He didn't figure that the short sine wave energy of sunlight, and I'm interested in the physics of sunlight, has a short hop dance on the surface of each leaf on planet Earth. It is as unique as the human family. It dances on the chloroplast, changes the structure of the valency within the chloroplast. That chloroplast can grab that unit of energy from the electron and change its forma just like a miracle, really, and crack the carbon the carbon off the carbon dioxide, liberate oxygen into the air, and it pumps carbon into the body of the tree, all invisibly, all done invisibly. So you could say quite comfortably that the trees and the forests farm the sun. They are the great farmers of the sun. They drink the sun into their green bodies and they pull the carbon into their skeletons and that is called carbon banking. And that carbon banking has now, by cutting all the trees, burning all the forests, burning the Amazon, burning, don't forget the Congo, 
three, the size of three times the size of Ireland, almost going on for three times, not quite three times, the size of Ireland and the Congo has been burnt and slashed out too. Nobody's talking about that. And the greedy guts are now going up into the boreal and they want to take the boreal down. It's the last standing forest in the world. It's the pillar of the, of the world. So the carbon in those trees has been banked for 400 billion years. No, sorry, 400 million years has been banked. And the trees have learned how to biodiverse themselves. They've learned to be plastic genetically. And they are equivalent in DNA genome to you and to me. The genome of a tree is only as different from the human genome by two, it's called two bases. And even at that, those bases are alike. So they are our friends, and we never knew that. In the ancient wisdom, they knew that the friends of the human family were the trees. King Solomon sat and did his thinking in a nut orchard, as a matter of fact. And he thought by eating nuts and thinking about the division of that child that had two mothers. And the mother, one mother, wanted the child sliced in half. She wasn't the mother. He, in his great wisdom, discovered that the mother who wanted to have the child saved, that was the real mother. And now we're coming to the thinking of the human family again. And I think that we have to hold hands across the world and save the forest, plant the forest, save what we have, replant the forest. And then behind that, there is another huge invention that has gone on. And that huge invention is called entanglement, entanglement in physics. And they're finding the thing that Einstein called, it was very spooky when he knew about it. It means an electron, one electron can be in two places at once. That's called entanglement. And there's been a breakthrough down in Berkeley. It's a bunch of Chinese boys have come in, really smart kids, and they have found entanglement occurs in photons also, as well as electrons. By God, that's the beginning of the quantum computer. That's the beginning of molecular machines. That's the beginning of a real new array of thinking. So let us buy time by planting, replanting the forest and then understanding exactly how much we need to protect. Because we really don't know that now. How much exactly, tree by tree, we need to protect. And keep that as a status quo into the future for feeding our children and feeding our families. And then let us look to other R&D in the physics world and in the humanities world and see what we can do with that. And we have marvellous inventive people. The time of now, according to prophecy, is that the children of now, the children of now come with a thing called hybrid vigour because all kinds of nations are crossbreeding. And that is fantastic because the first generation, the F1 generation children, are brilliant, absolutely, captivatingly brilliant. And they will be the ones who will be educated. They will be the ones who will make the call. And they will be the ones who will do the molecular machines. Maybe I have the idea, but I will not live long enough. The kids are going to carry that one up. So we have tremendous hope. It's not despair, it's tremendous. It's going to be fantastic. It's a time of change. And in Chinese, 
The time of change is always the time of interesting things. For you, for me, for the planet, for all of the things on the planet. And this is going to be a marvellous time for all of us because invention after invention is going to start happening. Things we never even thought of. Things, the design of, of black space, dark matter. And it's coming. All of these things are actually coming. We have put a finger on them. And so I think we are looking at some very, very good times. Right now, we have to have the vision. Ah, I really like Vancouver. I have to admit that I really like um, the West Coast. I don't know why. There's, there's a freedom here. And in Gaelic, we call it Ansersha. And from the old Gaelic word, Ansersha comes from the time of Breton laws, the ancient time of the Irish people, the Celts that traveled all over the world. They had enormous amount of knowledge. They designed colony, the colony calendar. We now have the Julian cal- calendar. There were tremendous mathematicians and doctors, and uh, they did C-sections at the birth, the time of the birth of Christ. They had the first, second great uh, alphabet, which is the, the Ogham alphabet, second great learning after Sanskrit. Um, and from that comes the drain, uh, the, the, the thinking towards... Um, some answers that I have had that I've just talked about with, with, uh, with climate change. Now, going back to Vancouver, going back to the Celtic world for a little bit, I have to tell you a little bit about myself in a way. I consider the human family to be my family. I look upon everybody in a form of altruism I want to do things that the politicians aren't doing. For Vancouver, there are certain trees that you can grow that will block out climate change very rapidly. And um, for down south, there are certain species that block in carbon very rapidly. For the tropics, the same thing. For all the cities across the world, for the city forests across the world, we can all do this. And I have the species of trees that... um, Vancouver can actually plant and grow. They are oaks, and I have a list of them. Those lists will go on the screen, and you will know what they are by way of their Latin names and the species names. I'll pick out just one, the Gary Oak, for instance, here. There was a savanna once upon a time here of the Gary Oak, and that is the Quercus, the Oregon Oak, Quercus Garii, the Gary Oak. I bet you never knew that there was a Belanolistic culture here in this part of North America once upon a time. And the oaks were grown for their acorns. And the acorns of the Gary Oak are sweet and they can be eaten. They can be reduced down into flour. And the flour is a high-protein flour, which is very, very good for you, can be added to other flours. And the flour, F-L-O-U-R, not F-L-O-W-E-R, the flour is very, very good for your body. And those oaks were used by the Aboriginal people in a concept, in a brainchild concept called the savannah. And they fast-fired, flash-fired the savannas to put the potassium hydroxide around these oaks and keep these oaks healthy. And the oaks were, were feeding the Aboriginal people here all the way down into, into really the tropics. 
And the oaks here have got a small acorn, but the oaks in the tropic have got an acorn like an egg. And that was the Balanolistic culture. That's what kept the people alive. In technicality, they are anti-famine trees. In technicality, they have quercetin and quercitrin running through the veins of those oak trees. And they can withstand climate change. They can withstand great droughts. They can withstand a certain degree of flooding. These trees can withstand the greenhouse effect. So while you are worrying about climate change, you put in the Gary Oaks again around Vancouver and you don't really have to worry about you get a 25% reduction in pollution in the city. Just by doing that, you get um, the the 2.5 micron pollution in the air, which will be reduced by the Gary Oaks, the rough stems, uh, trunks of the Gary Oak will flood it down into the ground and you have a win-win situation for Vancouver. Then there are three other species here. But in together with that, there is something I'm asking the people of Vancouver to do something for me and for the human family. I'm asking you to be stewards of the blue oak. That is called Quercus Douglasi. I'm asking the gardeners here to do something. And I do not want the politicians involved with this. I'm talking ordinary people to ordinary people. Down on the, on the coastline of California, the blue oak is almost gone. So I would like the people of Vancouver, in a handshake, a friendship handshake, to grow the blue oak here. And when it starts to produce acorns, send it down to California to protect the land down there from fire because it is a native species down there. They can't grow it here and send it up there. You have to have a northern species going south for it to be valid, botanically speaking. So that's really, in a, in a nutshell, in an acorn, my thinking of protecting the climate and reducing the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and every person can do it in Vancouver, even a child can take a shovel, can take a little trowel and plant an acorn. We can stand up together, get our trowels, get our shovels, plant those savannas of Gary Oak back and we should be okay here. It's very simple. We don't have to argue about it. We're already going into cars, uh, electrical cars, and we'll sort that one out too by molecular machinery. We will be able to sort these things out because we've got some smart cookies on this planet. We can do that, but we have got to stop the greed. That's one big thing that concerns me. Forest bathing is a phenomenon that it's only recently we've ever been, that we recently scientifically have been ever to put a finger on, really. And um, the, the collective body of some species of trees produce a complex series of aerosols. And the aerosols are the chemistry, the biochemistry and the medicine of the trees. And we've only discovered this through uh, cloud experiments. These are cloud um, cloud chamber experiments. Um, we have suspected that they have been there. I knew I was the first person to write about these aerosols in my book Arboretum America, Philosophy of the Forest. And from then, that is 20 years ago, all that has just expanded. The concept of forest bathing has expanded exponentially. But it is an old technique in, in Japan. It's 1,400 years old. And what it is is a very simple thing. 
Um, all of the clinical studies have been done in Japan about this. This is absolute, absolutely a proven fact. Um, we have we have trees that produce these these bo- this bolus of aerosols. In Vancouver, you have more unique species here that I'm going to give you lists of to actually protect the human body. But in general speaking, let's take the pine, for instance, any pine, any pine, anywhere across the world. For here, the western pine is your best pine. That's number one pine for here. And on the east coast, the white pine, Pinus strobus, is the the pine for the west coast. Or for the sorry for the east coast, and what the pines are producing is alpha pinene and beta pinene. Alpha pinene are like tiny molecular kites into the air, and they're released by a compound called limonene. Limonene is a direct anti-cancer carcino- anti-carcinogenic compound. It is a therapeutic compound that's used in the ordinary uh, de- everyday medicine of treating people with cancers. So what we have found is that the alpha pinene and the beta pinene actually interact with the body itself. So when you go uh, forest bathing, you take off, I'm not telling you to go naked, I'm not telling you to strip off all your clothes, but as much as you can take off forest bathing in warm air. And for here in Vancouver, we're starting in March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October even for you. The temperatures can be quite high. The higher the rate of the reaction, the better the effect of forest bathing. Technically and scientifically, that's true. So you go out for 15 minutes, 15, one five or 20 minutes, walk around some pine trees and walk slowly. Hold your head up, hold your chest back because you want the alpha and beta pinene to go into the lower regions of your lungs. And this area of your lungs is not aerated very heavily because all of us slouch. We don't walk straight. We don't walk with a stiff back. But you have to walk with a stiff back and your shoulders straight when you're doing, when you're forest bathing. So you're breathing in, adsorbing. It's not absorbing. It's adsorbing this molecular um, compound, these medical molecular compounds into your body. Now your body, on your skin, on your hair, on your face, into your nose, into your breathing, into your lungs. Now, the body functions as a one singular um, medical unit. The body has knowledge of self. We don't understand understand this in the medical world, but we do understand the body functions as a unit with its own knowledge. We don't know why and we don't know how come, but the body itself, a walking body in this forest, forest bathing, the body itself decides how much it needs. And the body will drink the forest bathing material, that is the alpha, beta and pinene, and there are many, many other compounds, the limonene, many, many other compounds go into the body. The body decides biochemically what it needs and it adsorbs what it needs. Now, let me tell you what that does. This is, these are just two compounds, alpha and beta pinene I'm talking about now. They do a really peculiar thing. It's really strange. We've never actually seen these before. And these are all clinical experiments that have been done in the Naipaul Medical School by Quing Lee. It's fantastic what's happened. The Aboriginal people have known about it. The shaman and the medical men and the medicine men have always known about this. But now we can put the thumb on it. We know exactly what's happening. The alpha and beta pinene go in and they act as an alert system to the T cell ratio 
in the body, which is the guarding system in the body. The, the circulatory system of the body is always on guard, always on guard for foreign agents. And what we're finding is that these alpha and beta uh, pinenes are going in and they're pressing the on button of the T-cell ratio on the body, which puts the body on super guard system for any deleterious material coming into the body. It heightens the T-cell ratio. The teeter of T-cells and the neutrophils and all of the gobbling cells within the circulatory system are increased in volume and they become very alert. And what happens for a whole month after, after forest bathing, they're still alert. And if the body happens to come across any cancerous tissue anywhere, floating in the air, coming in by a sneeze, coming in from, it gets rid of it, it gobbles it. So it shields the body to cancer for a whole month. My God, what's not worth doing about that? Getting a dog, getting a lead, getting a catipus, getting a girlfriend, getting a bunch of people and go for a blinking walk. It is a fantastic thing to do. It shields your body from cancer. Now, but there's a warning on this one. If you cut down all the forests, you can't do it. And cancer is going rampant across the world because of pesticides, herbicides, because of genetically modified foods. There is danger in some of these foods. Um, there is danger in the ocean. There's too much plastic in the ocean. Bisphenol compounds are getting into breast milk. There are dangers. Okay, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating these dangers because they are. They're changing the, the gender. They're gender bending. They're gender bending uh, materials that are going out into the environment. But I think we can stop that. I think we can become alert about that. So we will stop that whole system. But what we can do is shield the body from diseases. And that's just one set of cancers. And that is just one set of diseases, cancers. And that means all cancers, men and women. How about that? Like, how about that? And I can go on talking about this stuff. This is phenomenal. I mean, I should be at the top of this unity hall screaming this research to everybody in Vancouver. I should be telling little kids, your little kids, the seabirds out there on the seawater, are not good for the little sausages to be bathing. They should not be exposed to the seabirds that are coming from Fukushima. Not for this year, not for next year. Keep the kids in from swimming. Have them in swimming pools. But there are all kinds of things that we need to know. One of them is forest bathing, and it's cheap. And if you happen to be married, a woman, you happen to be married to your husband, and he won't go forest bathing with you, you won't go for a walk, blackmail him. Don't cook him a pie. Keep him hungry. And I'll tell you, keep that fella hungry until he comes for a forest bathe with you. So, you see, that's the really mean way of doing it. You get a man out there, and he'll lollygag around. The men need to lollygag a bit. The women are always lollygagging. But get the men out there, get them healthy. And healthy men can save the planet. Healthy men can do better work. So you see, there is a, there is a meanness in my message. I'm saying to all of you, we've all got to get to work. And I want to do the thing that the, the Mohawk people think about, and that's the dream of ancient Ireland. The time is the time of now. The time in the timelines of the ancient world are Toimi the Kela. Those, that's the Gaelic of, of the time of now. We are all getting together. 
That means we are coming together as one. And the ancient message from the Aboriginal people is Mergamish. And that means the same, exactly the same thing in the Western world of North America. We are all getting together. There is a consciousness rising amongst all of us, even in the little children, that we, the herd of the human family, have to move the herd away from danger. And there is a knowledge pattern that's happening all over the world where the dropping of All the artificial medicines are happening and people are turning to nature as their last reserve for sanity, for unity and for healthy thinking and spiritual healthy thinking. Because where did this come from? Where in God's name did the design of nature come from? We will have theologians looking at that. We will have philosophers looking at that. We will have holy people looking at that into the future way into the future. But in the meantime, we have the time of now. Hold my hand. Hold my right hand. Hold my left hand. Rely on me. All of my work is peer-reviewed. They're scientific documents. Use them as stepping stones into the future. And believe you me, the future is bright. Thank you.